All right. Good morning. Man, it's a good morning, isn't it? It's good. We got, we got Tara back from maternity leave. I, I feel like I would wait all year to sing Oh Holy Night in here, right? I mean, man, that is good stuff. I'm so glad you're here. It's a great morning. It's, it's Victory Sunday if you're a Bills fan, right? We already got the pressure off. Yeah. We, who, who's tired, right? Who's a little extra tired today? Yeah. But it's better to be tired and happy, right? We, if they lost, we would be just as tired. We would just also be grumpy. So we have that going for us. We got a lot going for us. It's a good morning, and all four candles are lit. That means Christmas is next, which is next Sunday. So things are moving quickly, and we're going through this Advent series. And man, this is the, the fastest month of the year. I feel like that every year. And uh, I want to ask you about journeys. Are you a journey person? Do you like taking trips? What's the biggest journey that you've ever been on? For me, pretty easy answer. You know, I've been on a lot of great trips, but man, it's pretty hard to top Africa, right? Like as far as a journey, just both the, like the epic nature of it and going so far away and landing in a totally different part of the world. Um, but our, our trip to Africa, we flew through Qatar, which is where the World Cup is actually right now. So we flew through the Middle East and uh, the trip there was, it was good. Everything went pretty well. I've never been on a plane that long, but the trip home is what really stands out. Because as soon as we turned and started to go home, I couldn't wait to see my kids. You know, I loved being there, and I would have stayed there longer, but as soon as it was time to go, the girls were seven, five, and three, and I just felt like I could not get home fast enough. And so we get on the first plane in Rwanda, in Kigali, and uh, it starts this huge storm, and there's thunder and lightning, and we're just sitting on the runway for an hour. And I knew we had a really small window to make our connecting flight, especially for like an international flight. So we were on the plane for an hour before we finally take off. And even that's a little, you know, I'm, I'm okay flying, but I'm not like storm in Africa taking off in mountains okay flying, if, if that makes sense. So we get to Qatar and I look and I was like, Amy, we don't, we don't even need to bother, right? We're not making the next flight. We should just take our time. We're going to be here for a little bit. And so we get out and we go up the stairs. And I'll never forget this guy. I can see him in my mind. He's holding a sign at the top of the stairs and it says JFK 724. And I was like, that's our flight. And he looked at his list and he said, are you John and Amy or are you Vern and Deb? I said, we're John and Amy, Vern and Deb are right there. And he said, can all four of you run? We're like, absolutely. <laughs> we're like, we're in. And so we went through one of the biggest international airports in the world, 15 minutes. We covered the whole thing. He took us to security lines and was just like cutting us through the line and getting us in and out. And he gets us to the door. And I turned around and like got a little emotional just saying like, thank you so much. You know, thank you for getting us to this flight. And he said, the next flight to JFK is in 24 hours. And I was like, oh, we would have spent 24 hours in Qatar. Like, I couldn't, I couldn't thank him enough. And we get on, and the door closes, and I have this sense of relief of like, oh, we made it. And then my brain did a little math because we had just been on a plane for nine hours. We ran for 15 minutes, and then we had 14 more hours on a plane. And I was like, we're on a plane for a day straight, right? So I went from that, like, super relieved to being like, oh, a plane again. And we finally, it was a good flight. Uh, long story, I, I don't sleep on planes, which is real inconvenient when you're on them for 24 hours straight. But we got back to JFK and eventually went and got the girls, and uh, it was awesome. It was a great journey. And, and when we read the Bible, throughout the journey, we see, or throughout the Bible, we see people that are on journeys. There's journeys all the time. I mean, just read this. When you're reading the Bible over the next couple weeks, just kind of take note of how many people are on some kind of trip or on some kind of journey. I mean, the narratives don't tend to center on people that are just standing still. 
In the Old Testament, just a few, Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and the Israelites, pretty big journey. David and Elijah, they're just some of the people that have major journeys as a part of their life story. In the New Testament, of course, Paul covers most of the known uh, known world with his traveling companions, Barnabas, John Mark, and Silas. And then there's this regular theme of Jesus journeying. Jesus did a lot of traveling. And it's part of it, just journeys were a part of the culture and the time. And so we're going to talk about journeys and, and journeying. And obviously we still take literal journeys like the ones that I'm talking about so far. Some, some more than others, right? Who were the people that love to travel? My travel people, you're like, yeah, right? Can't get away enough. Who are the people that are like, I don't travel and it's cool. Like I'm, I'm fine with it, right? Like I, I don't, I'm, don't need to go. All right. I had more people on Saturday night. People that don't like to travel come to church on Saturday night. That's the that's the conclusion. And then some of you are like, I would love to travel, but I know what it costs, right? And that's part of the issue too. But even more than just talking to you about cool vacations and trips, which I totally would love to do, I want to talk to you also about some of the metaphorical journeys that we find ourselves on in life. Journeys that we walk through with our health, with people that we love, or with the path that I talked to you about last week. Because here's where I want to tie last weekend's message into what we're going to look at this weekend. Because last weekend, we looked at the life of Mary. I told you, be like her. Be open to what God wants to do in our lives. Be open to his plan for your life, even when it isn't the plan that you had. To be honest with God, but never to doubt what he can do. And I've heard from a lot of people that that resonated with, and I'm really glad. And I think if God started to show you a different path for your life, a whole bunch of people would say, okay, God, I'm in. Right? I really believe that. I think if he started to show you that path, you'd say you're in. But what happens far too often to too many of us is we get on that path and then we meet resistance. Right? We run into roadblocks, this thing that seems to divert the straight path that we're trying to follow from God. And what happens is we get it in our heads sometimes, and we think that they're roadblocks to God as well. We think they're roadblocks to his plan as if he didn't know about them as in he couldn't have prevented them, or that his plan is somehow thrown off course because of them. But I want to give you this confidence from Scripture today. Our main point this morning is that if we keep the purposes of God in front of us, we can trust the plans of God will unfold around us. By the purposes of God, I mean that Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 stuff that we talked about in the accepting message last weekend, that if we're trusting God, we're not leaning on our own ability to understand everything and make sense of it, and we're submitting our our lives in all ways to Him, if we're living like that, if we are living our purpose here— I just want to, for the reference, I can't talk this morning, and I'm feeling it, and I'm blaming it on the fact that I went to bed at 12, and I got up at 6.15, all right? So it's an open, honest place. Bear with me. Let's try it. If we are living His purpose for our lives, we can have the confidence that God's plan for our life will unfold around us. Not a confidence that everything's going to be good. Like, please don't hear me say that. Make sure you hear what I'm saying. We have way too many people who are hurting right now for me to try and preach some prosperity gospel to you today. That stuff sounds good. Apparently it makes pastors a bunch of money, uh, but it just doesn't hold up when life kicks you in the teeth. And I've seen too many great people, people that love God, people that are serving and people that are keeping his purposes in front of them. And I've seen them get kicked in the teeth lately. 
And so I, I can't stand up here and tell you anything close to that. But what we do believe, what we can believe, is that even in the midst of challenges, even in the midst of roadblocks and seemingly unending adversity, that if we keep the purposes of God in front of us, we can trust the plans of God to unfold around us. And we see this illustrated in Scripture in many places, but today I want to look at the documented journeys of Jesus' most early days in his life. Now, you know all these. To some degree, we're best acquainted with the first journey, the one that came before he was even born, and that's from Luke 2, 1 through 7, classic Christmas passage that you hear where it says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for a baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So there's this census being taken, and in general, it's a pain, right? It's a pain because you can't just fill something out in the mail and send it back in like we all had to do in 2020, which was a little pain, but not like this. It had to be organized, right? So everybody had to go back to where they were from. I'm telling you, if when Amy was pregnant, I said, hey, we just have to run up to Maine for a little while to fill out some paperwork. Like, it was not going to go over well. But they had no choice in it, right? They had no choice. And so Mary and Joseph, they make the approximately 80-mile journey, which just for context, that would be like going from here to Fredonia on the throughway, right? It's no small trip. It's a significant undertaking at that time, and it would have been a major imposition on them both time-wise and financially. And the reasons for it wouldn't have made them feel a lot better. Because the registration in the census, it wasn't just for record keeping. It was, so, it was so that they could more efficiently and effectively tax everyone in the Roman Empire. And I cannot tell you how grumpy I would be if you made me walk 80 miles so you could raise my taxes, right? That would not go over well. But maybe there was some upside here for them. Maybe there was, because in Nazareth, Everyone knew them. Everyone knew that they weren't married, and if they didn't already know that Mary was pregnant, they obviously were going to figure it out soon enough. Now, we generally assume that this trip, Mary's probably like late third trimester when it happens, right? The picture is like she's on the they're paintings. They're not pictures, just for the record. Um, she's like on a donkey. She's like super pregnant at that time. But we don't actually know that to be true. The passage just tells us while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. They could have heard that they had to go and just decided, you know what? Let's get out of Nazareth for a little bit. Let's get out of the place where everybody knows us and knows our story. Let's go to some place where people don't know us, avoid the small town scandal as much as possible. But either way, they're taking this journey that they didn't choose, and they're taking it for reasons that really do not benefit them. And then, just 40 days after Jesus was born, Jewish laws and customs required them to take another journey. This time, it's about 64 miles from Nazareth to Jerusalem. That's assuming they'd already come home from Bethlehem. 64-mile trip. Luke 2, 22 tells us this. 
doesn't tell us that. It says, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now, if you want to read the backstory of this, right, you can read in Leviticus 12 or Exodus 13, and you can see that 40 days after the birth of a baby, to be obedient to the Torah, Mary would have a ritual purification, and they would perform a redemption of the firstborn son in the temple in Jerusalem. But what that meant for them is, once again, they're packing up, and they're heading out, and not by their choosing, right? Instead, it's in accordance with the Jewish laws and customs and traditions. And it wasn't fun to make the last journey while Mary was pregnant, I'm sure, but this time, they're doing it with a newborn. You ever travel with a newborn? It is zero stars. I would not recommend. Uh, In 2010, right after Grace was born. She was born in January, so she was like three months old, and we had to fly to Orlando for my ordination. And so Amy wasn't going to miss that, and you know, we're not going to leave a three-month-old uh, with somebody else. So we all went down, and, and she did pretty well, right? The flights down were good, and, and it was okay. I uh, also wouldn't recommend sleeping with a newborn in a hotel room. Not a great time. But what stands out in my mind is our flights back were on a Saturday night, because we had to get back for church on Sunday, and it was late. And so we're at JFK, a lot of JFK stuff today, and uh, I'm walking up and down, you know, the corridor, and she's crying at 10 o'clock, and this is our first kid, so I mean, we had her in bed at 7, right? Your first kid, you don't change the plan for anything. You're like, no, sorry, we have a baby. Your third kid, you're like, they're in a stroller sleeping under a tree. Uh, But this was our first kid, so she was in bed at 7 every night, and it's 10 o'clock, and we're in the airport, and I'm doing the thing, and she's crying, and and I remember doing it, walk up and down, and everyone's looking at me, and they're like, oh, look at this dad. Isn't that sweet? And they were like, so, there's so much compassion in people's eyes as they looked at me until I got in the line for our flight from New York to Rochester. And I got in the line, and immediately everyone was like, oh, they're on our flight, right? They just had that like, oh, it's not cute anymore, right? There's no more compassion. And she did cry for a decent amount of the hour-long flight, but thankfully, it was a quick flight. And that's what they're doing, right? They're traveling with a newborn 40 days after he was born. It's not fun, but there's even more. I mean, look at Matthew's gospel. We see this one in Matthew 2, 13 to 15. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Now, according to Matthew Henry's commentary, uh, Jesus was born in the 35th year of King Herod's reign. And according to another commentary, Herod died in the 37th year of his reign. So we've got like a a two-year window here in the first couple years of Jesus' life where Herod could have put out this decree to kill all the baby boys around his age. And the angel comes to Joseph and warns him. And very similarly to how Joseph responded when the angel told him that Mary was pregnant with a baby that wasn't his, but he should still marry her, Joseph was obedient and faithful, right? The angel says this, they get up and they go all the way to Egypt. This trip is about 400 miles with a kid under two by foot. 
Now then, of course, once news of Herod's death reached them in Egypt, they returned home. And experts are all over the map about the time frame here, about when exactly that happened. I mean, the news wouldn't have traveled quickly, right? They didn't get like a, a tweet that said like, breaking news, King Herod dead. Like that didn't, it would take a while for that to get there. But when they did, then it says they finally made their way home. So it's likely Jesus is three to five, somewhere in there, by the time they made that 400 mile journey back again without an iPad, right? I mean, just consider that. And then the final biblically recorded journeys of the childhood of Jesus, they come every year during the festival of the Passover. And we don't hear about every year of them in Scripture, but we do see in Luke 2 that every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. This, of course, is the beginning of the Passover. Joseph unwittingly rip off the plot of Home Alone 2 by leaving Jesus in the big city. Hopefully you're familiar with that. But how often, how often did they make that trip? They made that trip every year from Nazareth to Jerusalem. And I'm sure you remember, I told you, it's a 64-mile trip, and they did it every year. It was the custom. It's what you did. It didn't say they wanted to do it. Maybe they did. It didn't say they enjoyed doing it. Maybe they enjoyed parts of it. But it was a religious obligation that they kept. And some of you, you're, you're looking at your watches, right? You're looking at the clock and you're saying, okay, we get it. They took a lot of journeys. It's very likely that a good time was not had by all on most of these journeys. What is your point? And that's, you are asking good questions today. I'm glad you asked that. Because the point is, none of these journeys in the life of Jesus were chosen. But each one served a purpose in fulfilling God's plan in his life. We know from Old Testament prophecy in Micah 5.2 that the Messiah had to be born in Bethlehem. We know that the Messiah came to fulfill the laws of Moses. He had to live up to the laws and standards and customs of the Jewish tradition. Hosea tells us that the Messiah would be called out of Egypt. Matthew actually quotes that in the passage we looked at. So every time, Every journey, as inconvenient as it was, as much as it was not wanted, as much as it came to them, a few of them came to them because of oppression, of things you and I would look at and call evil, rightfully so, each one served a purpose. I mean, look at some of the things God used to fulfill the purposes in the life of Jesus. A couple of the things that he used were government intervention, watch your toes there, religious customs, and violent enemies, right? Those were things he used. I mean, are you telling me, he used government intervention. Are you telling me that God can use kings and rulers and presidents to serve his purposes? Yeah, I'm telling you that. Even ones that aren't serving him, yes. Even ones I didn't vote for. Yes. I'm not telling you that. Scripture in the life of Jesus is telling you that. I mean, do you think that Caesar Augustus was trying to serve God and bring him glory by declaring that everyone had to return to their city so that he could count them and tax them? No, he was trying to line his own pockets. He was trying to line the pockets of the Roman Empire, and God still used it. Do you think... Do you think it's possible, as much as it pained us to not be able to worship together for several months in 2020, do you think it's possible that God actually used that? That God used that to bring about some of his purposes? Do you think God used that to fulfill some of his plans? Because I think he did. I think he did. I think he does that exact kind of thing, and he's been doing it for centuries. God also used the religious customs. 
I mean, maybe they felt like going, or maybe they were going through the motions, but it was where they should have been. They were where they should have been, and God used it. And I hope, I really hope, you wake up every Sunday, and you can't wait to come here. I hope that. I hope that you're excited and energized to be here, that there are people that you're looking forward to seeing, and that you believe God has something for you. But I'm also not naive enough to think it's going to be like that for everyone every week. Come anyway. Come anyway. Do it. Even when you feel like you have to drag yourself here sometimes. Give God the chance to speak to you. Still give God the chance to speak through you. Because think about that. We don't often consider that. Maybe there's a day where you're struggling. And God wants you here not as much for what you're going to receive, but because you're going to give something to somebody else. Maybe you are the person that they need to talk to, and you have the right word of encouragement, the right story, the right example, and you're going to be the encouragement that they need. So don't just be here so you can hear from God. Be here so you can be used by God, because you never know. So be here whenever you can be here. Make attending worship a priority, not a thing you just do when there's nothing else going on, because I believe that God will use that to fulfill his plans in your life and in the life of others. And then God can even use violent enemies. Now, I sincerely hope that you do not have any of those. But even people like that, Right? We know people that are tough. God can use the most difficult people in your life to bring about his plans. If he can use violent enemies, then we can deduce that he can use super annoying people. Right? He can use super adversarial people. He can use the most mean-spirited people you know that you're convinced have it out for you. God can use them. The person at work that you can't stand, the, most, the worst person in your family, the person that you hope says they can't be there whenever you have an event, the neighbor that you daydream about them selling their house. Right? Like, man, I thought I saw a sign in their yard today. Right? Anyone. Anyone, no matter how extremely they oppose you, God can still use them to bring about his plans in your life. And what I hope for you today is that we'll walk away with a reminder of how God operates, that he can and he will use anything along our journey to bring about his purposes in our life and his plans in the world. Because the odds are good that none of you are going to take a 60 or 80 or 400 mile walk later or in the next ever. But I know that a lot of us are on some significant journeys in life right now. And I've referenced some of them, but we've got people that you're going through relational journeys and some of you are in educational journeys, vocational journeys, medical journeys, all sorts of journeys. I mean, with people in relational journeys and, and you're working right now, especially you feel this time of year, you're trying to mend a relationship. Or you're trying to repair that. Or some people are trying to figure out how life looks now with a relationship that is seemingly broken beyond repair. And you're journeying and you're trying to figure that out. We have a lot of people, far too many people, who are on a journey right now to figure out what life looks like without somebody that they love. And that's going to be really hard. It's always hard at this time of year. But we have a lot of people that are going to be looking at an empty chair next week, and they're trying to figure out how to live with that, how to still find joy in the midst of the grief in their journey. 
Some of you guys are on educational journeys, right? We've got a lot of students here, and, and sometimes those, the people on educational journeys, that could be formal or informal, right? Sometimes you're just in a season of learning and growth. You go through one of those seasons where it feels like God is just teaching you stuff all the time, and maybe that's in school or college or a trade program or something else, or it's just the stage of life, but you feel like, man, I'm really on this, this educational journey of learning with God. A lot of people find themselves on vocational, vocational journeys, sometimes by choice, sometimes not, right? You could be on a journey to try and find the right career or job for yourself where you're saying, man, I'm just, what I'm doing right now, there's this discontentment in my spirit. I don't think it's the thing I'm going to do for the next 10, 20, or 30 years. Uh, you might be on a journey just to try and keep the job that you have, right? You got a good one and you want to do that, or you want to find one that fits better. Some, some of you, some of our people are on a journey of figuring out what life looks like after you don't get up and go to work every morning, right? Like that's, I've done that for 40 years. What does life look like when that alarm clock doesn't go off at six and I follow the routine that I've built forever? And then, man, we got people on medical journeys, right? This one, this one hurts. You know, we know you're journeying through appointments and tests and you're looking for a diagnosis, and then when you get that diagnosis, you're on the journey of treatments over and over. And frankly, for you, walking 400 miles from Nazareth to Egypt, it sounds much less intimidating than what you or what your loved one has been journeying through. But whatever journey you're on today, or what you're facing in the near future, I want you to hear these words of God from Jeremiah 29, 11. He says, for I know the plans. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. He knows the plans. He knows the plans. Those plans, they may include a whole bunch of stuff that you don't like, that you didn't choose. They will likely involve people that you don't like and you didn't choose. They will involve circumstances that you would have preferred to avoid. But what we know about God, what we believe about God is that he can and will use all of that to fulfill his plans in your life. Just like he did for Jesus. Just in, in the life of Jesus, through some really difficult days for Mary and Joseph and young Jesus. Just like he does for us, he will use whatever is there. Sometimes he will even use our own mistakes. He will even use our own brokenness. I told you last weekend that ESPN was my longtime career goal, but I also, another, another company that I almost worked for, you might have heard of them, they were called the United States Navy. And I loved the Navy. I blame a couple things. David Robinson was really cool. He played at the Naval Academy when I was a kid, and I thought that was cool. And uh, I like Top Gun, and I love being on the water, and I understand being in the Navy is not like being on a cruise. You don't have to tell me that afterwards. Um, but I, I just was like, man, I love the Navy. I love being on the water. I'm going to go do this after college. And then I found out that if you complete your college degree, you have your four-year college degree after basic training, you are an officer. And I was like, wait, so you're telling me I got a eight weeks, right? Eight weeks, I got to suck it up, and then I'm an officer for the rest of my life. I was like, I'm in on that. Where's the paper? Sign the dotted line. So I had my papers all filled out September of 2001. Man, I'm getting old. I had that all filled out, and I could put them in October 1st, and then what would happen is when I graduated in May, 
like a week after graduation, I would go to the Navy. And I was like, all right, this is a plan. This is what I'm going to do. And I had that all ready. And then there's just this little problem that in that same month, in September of 2001, I got kicked out of college. And I got kicked out of college because I was an idiot. Like, I want to be real clear, right? At the time, there was other bad guys, right? I was like, oh, this administration and these rules aren't fair. I was an idiot. That's really what it boils down to. So now all of a sudden, I got a problem. Because if I put that paperwork in in October, I go in in May, I don't have a college degree. I'm not willing to work all the way from the bottom to the top. I like that jumpstart program that I had figured out. And so there I was sitting there just days away from submitting these papers. And what happened was I ended up shredding them, talked to my recruiter, said, this doesn't meet my plan anymore. And by the time it came around and I graduated from college, I had a job at a church and I was running their sports ministry, which was the coolest job. I got paid to supervise the weight room, to play basketball, soccer, hockey, all this stuff. And then we would do devotions and stuff and we just kind of connect with people. But that was my first church job. And by the time I graduated, the Navy was off because God had set this up. And that job led to my first pastoral job. And I look back and I can pretty confidently say that at 21, if I had gone into any kind of uh, military service, I don't know that it would have brought out the best for me, right? My, my problems with alcohol were not solved and anger and some other things. And I just think that might have been a really detrimental road for me. And the thing is, I look back and I think God used me being an idiot to actually bring about the plans of his life. Now, don't take that as empowerment to be an idiot, right? And be like, I don't know, God will straighten it out later. Don't do that, right? We got to do what we need to do now. But God used that, even that, even my own shortcomings, even my own mistakes, even the problems that I made in my life, God used those to bring about his plan in my life. And that is the confidence that we have. The confidence that we should have is that when we keep the purposes of God in front of us, we can trust that God's plan will unfold around us. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your goodness and your love and your mercy. God, thank you that um, we are not limited by the, the mistakes that we make, God, that we aren't limited by the people that oppose us. God, we aren't limited by circumstances that, that threw us off course, God. And we aren't because you aren't. God, we aren't because you knew that those would happen. God, you knew the plans. You know the plans for our life for each and every one of us. God, I pray that we would walk into that confidently. Lord, with a confidence that says, I don't know what will happen. This is a roadblock to me. This is a problem in my eyes. But God, I believe that you knew about it. I believe that you saw it. And I'm going to approach it with a confidence that you can use it to fulfill your plan in my life. So God, I pray that we would do that. I pray that we would live with that confidence that comes from knowing you, from submitting to you, from following your will and your plan in our lives, God. So help us to do that for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're all a little tired. We're doing well, though. Hey, don't leave right away. Uh, if you were here last weekend, you heard Pastor Marsha is moving on to be a senior pastor in Albion. Uh, we have Paula's here in the cafe, just a chance to kind of stop and, and say thank you to her and all that. So I, I hope that Paula's alone is enough to, to keep you here for a little bit. So swing by the cafe before you do that and go. But let me give you a takeaway, and that's just to trust God. Trust God that he will take you where you need to go to get you where you need to be. I trust that he will do that, even if it's not easy, even if it's not what you choose. Trust that that is his plan. And go today in the love of God and the grace of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. We will see you next weekend for Christmas Eve.